Hello and welcome back to Callum and David's Any Requests podcast. This is, of course, our weekly podcast where you, the listener, can donate £5 a month via our Patreon and get us to do a podcast on absolutely anything you want. That is correct. Now, last week, uh, what were we looking at last week? Um, We did... um, Miss Meadows. Miss Meadows. And we kind of compared uh, Miss Meadows. We couldn't remember the title of the film on that on that recording either. No. Um, we kind of compared that to Harold and Maud a little yeah. bit, um, and saw some of the similarities. And this week we're doing a direct comparison of two fantastic films. Yes, absolutely. So um, uh, Adam got in touch uh, and asked us to do Infernal Affairs, the two thousand and two Hong Kong uh, action film. Um, which, of course, is, uh, as some of you may know, uh, the original film of What the Departed is based on, Martin Scorsese's 2006 movie, um, which was, of course, the film he eventually, after six fails, got the Oscar for. Yeah. Um, uh, and all the rest of it, hugely successful. Um, but yes, it is uh, an adaptation um, remake of uh, this film, Infernal Affairs. And although Adam didn't ask us directly about The Departed, we thought it would be quite interesting anyway to watch both films and kind of talk about the the kind of pros and cons um of of kind of both of them and how they differ and um uh, where they're similar and things like that yeah absolutely um, i was a massive fan of uh, the departed yeah. when it came out as were so many people um for a number of reasons that we're going to kind of delve into but it wasn't until uh, you and I started, uh, got to know each other, mm. um, and you told me that, oh yeah, it was based on, on a film called Infernal Affairs, um, that I even knew it was an adaptation. And I think that's true for many people. So this is a, a great chance for those of you who don't know to dig into it. And I've only uh, watched Infernal Affairs right now this evening. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really kind of um, fresh uh, yeah. to, to Infernal Affairs as the original. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I... I um uh, uh as i'm sure you have have seen uh the departed a bunch of times absolutely love it i remember going to the cinema really vividly when it came out in 2006 um and and just absolutely loving it yeah. um um and um it's been a while since i've seen it a few years um and but it still holds up every time it's just excellent storytelling and, and writing and, and performances across the board um but i remember um because i was at um sick form college at the time and because it was a uh, you know, a, a, a B tech rather than mm. um, A levels. We had a few students that were kind of older, and um, yeah. another student on the course who obviously we were all what two thousand six. We just turned eighteen, um, and um, we had um, a twenty eight year old on the course who was obviously a, a real cinephile. Um, I mean, m- much more than me. I mean, totally knows absolutely everything about film. And uh, um, he um said to me after i was talking to him about i've just seen departed it's excellent he was like oh come around to my flat and we'll watch infernal affairs and that mm. was the f- i didn't know at all um uh, uh, that it was a remake and yeah so I, so i've not seen it yeah since i was about 18 um uh, and consequently remembered very little of it so it kind of felt for me like i was watching it for the first time as well because i couldn't actually remember much um yeah. o- other than the fact that my overriding memory was it was a much faster way of telling the same story, <laughs> yeah. um, um, which I don't think is always um, um, uh, the right way to go with it. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll kind of delve into that later. But yeah, I, I mean, it's it's interesting. It, you know, the the Departed. Many saw. I mean, it was very well received. Um, but there was when the when the awards happened, mm. the Academy Awards, there was this feeling of. That it was, you know, him almost getting a lifetime achievement. 
I, for that I remember, film because a lot that... of people saying you know it doesn't hold up to some of his earlier films that he didn't win yeah. for and it was almost like oh well marty's getting on now so we better give him one finally and maybe it was to do with the quality of the other films released that year that it was but but i mean i don't know for, for, for me i rank it really i actually i would say it's my fourth favorite scorsese Ooh, film. okay i mean this oh. is the thing isn't it because how a lot of people are kind of looking at departed uh, scorsese yeah. getting the oscar for departed and saying how can you like fine it's oscar worthy yeah but why are you giving scorsese the oscar for departed and not for goodfellas you yeah. know well that well was a, a lot of the discourse that well, i remember i i so i so i would so my favorite is is absolutely casino and always will be i think it's a masterpiece of a film yeah. um uh uh then it's king of comedy then it's new york new york um which loads of people haven't seen it i haven't seen that film. film oh it's scorsese's musical oh. with and it's a love story between de niro and um uh uh liza minnelli uh, and great. it's it's fun and it's it's about the jazz scene in new york um in the mid-20th century it's excellent 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 film um uh, and then i'd say the departed so for me i actually think the departed is stronger than goodfellas i think it's stronger than taxi driver and i think it's stronger than mean streets which most mm. people would put those three above it um but just a personal personal tasting personal preference but i i really really love the departed and i i do think it was um deserving of an oscar in its own right um because i, yeah. I just love the writing of it um but but yes i mean infernal affairs um is is essentially it's the story I mean, I, I I said before we watched it, it's 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 it feels like it's the story with a lot of the the character progression and depth taken out, and it's a very economic way of telling the story. However, I was thinking, and I commented to you as we were watching, I said the problem we have is you can you can never be that sure about who's written the subtitles, who's translated it. Mm. Often, often when you're watching foreign language films you it's a it's a gamble because sometimes they do just translate it in the most basic way so it may be that we are just not getting um that depth from what we're reading from the translation because certainly the 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 acting um i mean i mean uh uh tony lung who plays yan who is the dicaprio equivalent um is is a absolutely phenomenal actor um Mm. i mean um uh, uh, really urge anyone if you like Hong Kong cinema to see Hard Boiled, which I think is the best that Hong Kong cinema has ever produced. Um, early John Woo film before he went to America and did Face Off and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, and it was with uh, Chow Yun Fat and and um, Tony Lung, and, and he's phenomenal in that. And and I think his uh, his facial expressions are, and and um, uh, yeah, his, his silences and everything, everything that you can pick up that's non-verbal from this film i think it does have a lot of depth to it which makes me wonder yeah maybe, maybe we're just not getting that in the in the translation there, there was something and i think I'm, I'm gonna come back to this but i think there is there's one aspect of the film that i think that the, the of infernal affairs uh to be clear that i think is explored more deeply yeah in infernal affairs that isn't explored as deeply in uh departed and I, I doing some reading around it i think actually it'll be worth coming back to mm. uh later on um but essentially it, it's the idea and the theme of identity yeah. um that is clearly what infernal affairs is about yeah. and the departed seems to be much more um rooted in 
the fabric of Americana in in Boston. Yeah. Um, um we 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 watched um uh the other night we watched Joker, which was the first time you'd seen it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, second time I'd seen it, and we talked a lot about the ending of Joker after that film about how it you. For me, I was saying I felt like it's the first time I've really seen how Joker and Batman are two sides of the same coin. Mm. And I would use that phrase again, specifically in Infernal Affairs. I think what they do really well is show that Yan and Lau are two sides of the same coin. Whereas I don't know if that is presented as strongly in, in The Departed with with uh, uh, um, Costigan and Sullivan. I yeah. don't i don't necessarily think it's 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 a it's honed in on as closely as it is in infernal affairs which as you say it's very much a story about two very similar people who could have chosen one path and that path has diverged and has become opposite but yet they're kind of the same person and And, and what that means for them internally yeah. So I mean the the fact that the British title is is it infernal or the American title should yeah. I say is is, inf- is a play on internal affairs and internal yeah. affairs I think is really interesting. Um, or, although I think the uh, the original Cantonese title is much more speaking to uh, I think un- unending misery. Um, yeah, unending yeah, it's, it's torture. Um, yeah, it's it's um, um, the title alludes to I think it's called Avicii, which is yeah. the 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 Buddhist. Um, kind of first circle of hell if you like which is this idea of of yeah an un, un, unending misery or unending hell um which makes me wonder if there is a play with infernal affairs if that's a nod in terms of dante's inferno being I, the, yeah i think it is yeah. of it's a very clever so, yeah. title actually yeah um the deeper you go uh, for those of you who haven't seen either of the films yes we should run through the plot really um yeah. uh but so yeah we, we open uh, in both films um mm. with a a, a passing, uh, what's it called? A, a not passing out um, parade. Is it called a passing out parade when they pass out of the like the military and the yeah, and the something, army, something like that, I think, uh, yeah. but also in the police force? Um, I think it's called passing out parade when they graduate. Uh, sorry, Americans, correct me. Uh, from the police academy, and we know we're in Boston, and we have Leonardo DiCaprio playing Costigan, Will, William Costigan, um, and we have Matt Damon playing it- Sullivan. Both films very similar to the to the police academy. French. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, okay, that's David being dry. Day, I mean, that's not. A, but, but also check out police academy. Um, uh, probably not dated too well though. No, no, yeah, yeah, would, no. yeah, we probably have to do an essay's worth yeah. in terms of conditions before <laughs> before doing a podcast on police academy. Um, but yeah, there is uh, this showing of these two guys going through training both kind of you know blonde haired and yeah. bright eyed and um but we also have flashbacks to a young sullivan played mm. by matt damon um and, and well young sullivan's not played by matt damon it's yeah, yeah. a kid who looks very very much, very like, much like a young yeah. matt damon and um a kind of middle-aged uh jack nicholson who we learn is this gangster in boston and is going around collecting protection money and he picks up Matt Damon as a kid and says, hey, I can give you all these things you like, buys him a whole bag of shopping, gives him a comic book, says, if you ever need anything from me, you know, mm-hmm. come work for me. And of course you realise that when they graduate, Will Costigan um, is, you know, high IQ, really, really bright, to the point where the police is quite confused as mm-hmm. to why he's chosen to be a policeman. And Matt Damon is picked up by Jack Nicholson. And you know, straight from the off as an audience, yeah. that Matt Damon as Sullivan is... Uh, working for the Boston uh, crime syndicates. Yeah. 
Um, and you know that that Will, uh, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, is the real deal, genuine yeah. dude. Um, so sets up quite clearly through similar um, montage sequences as you get in Infernal Affairs. Yeah, um, so so I think in I, I'm, I'm conscious that we don't do too much of the plot specifically of Departed because yeah. it was Infernal Affairs that Adam asked us to do. Um, so in, in, in Infernal Affairs, as you say, it's a similar thing, but it's done a lot more economically. It's done with um, um, essentially rather than what you have in uh, the opening of The Departed, which is probably about the first 10, 15 minutes of of the film, which is a kind of general passing of time and and, and, and aging of backstory, Matt Damon and, and a scene. lot of backstory. You kind of have it all done in one kind of real-time scene in the past, and it's, and it's um, all these boys being initiated into this particular group of triads. Yeah. Um, uh, that's run by a guy called Sam, who who is the yeah Frank Costello um, equivalent equivalent, um, and and um, he kind of explains, kind of relatively expositionally, but I think in quite a good way, um, uh, uh, who they are, why they're there, what's about to happen, and that essentially, um, um, yeah, that they're they're kind of all going to the police yeah um um so yeah it's from the off you kind of he has this whole team that's going to be working for him undercover um and then that's cut with um yan who is the yeah will costigan and and it's a all it's shown to have all rather than in the departed where they kind of you have the scene with um martin sheen and Wahlberg where they're kind of chatting with him about his past you actually kind of see them test yeah mm-hmm. and he um almost benedict cumberbatch sherlock like yeah. noticing all these things and so that's when we go oh this His guy's got really IQ, are... high iq because he's going you know oh because of the socks you've chosen you feel mm-hmm. this way and i noticed this amount of files on your desk and things like yeah. that um so so yeah so again it's 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 done much more economically and much quicker and and there is a point, especially because we watched Infernal Affairs second, and we were both like, "Wait, we're at this scene already?" Because yeah. it's like it really it it gets Rattles to the along. point. It gets to the point very quickly. And I not that the Departed is a very meandering film. It's just ultimately a different film using the same plot. Um, yeah. But then we get to uh, the point where you know the Yan character's been undercover. Um, and we learn he's been undercover for nine years, which is yeah, which is a lot longer. I think I a think year. it's a year, isn't it? The Departed, yeah, a year, just over a year yeah. for, for for Leo DiCaprio in The Departed, but nine years. And I really think that he, this is where this theme of identity comes in because mm-hmm. there's one long chat that he has with his uh, superintendent uh, yeah. SP, um, and he you know says, look, I'm losing grip on who I am. He says, mm. "All right, we'll go see a shrink." Yeah, um, and this kind of creates the love interest story, and that is also mirrored of the Departed, but yeah. it happens kind of almost by accident. And also, there's a very kind of Scorsese kind of storyline about the two sides of the coin falling yeah. in love with the same girl, and so uh, yeah, so that so... storyline branches off differently there. Yeah, so so Vera Farmiga's character in in the Departed is is an amalgamation of the two female love interests in uh, Infernal Affairs. They're kept kind of separate, Lau's mm. wife and Yan's love interest, although they never actually 
consummate that in any way um, it's just a, a she's a hand she's married moment. with a child and yeah and it's it, it stays platonic um which which obviously it doesn't in the in in the departed um no and just a shout out to to one i think famiga's brilliant yeah. in, in as is everyone in in the departed um but also i like the fact that when taking this film for a scorsese film and we always know it's going to be pretty male centric and male dominated they've taken the female part and expanded on it yeah and i think that's a really good thing yeah um although there could have been some more females in in, yeah. in that in that film um but yeah it, it's really nice to see that part of, of infernal affairs brought out and, and um and acknowledged there yeah yeah so yeah so as the as the story continues um um you know we are we as an audience are obviously aware that there are two moles in each other's camps yeah um uh, be that triads or be that Irish mafia. Um, Whitey Bulger, I believe, is the real gangster that um, uh, Costello is based on. Um, oh, there right. was a real okay. Irish Boston mafia guy, and I think that was who he's meant to be based on. Um, but yeah, so so and obviously, you know, the police know that they've got a mole in the other camp. The mafia know that they've got a mole in the police's camp, but they don't know that they they've know got about the their own. One. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, um. And until until they do and they start to realize and then that's where the kind of real um uh, i guess yeah i guess in aristotelian terms the crisis moment of of the kind of story comes where they the moles are essentially both tasked to try and find the moles and they're trying to find themselves so so they're now having having to kind of there's even more duplicity involved because they're now actively having to look like they're finding this person that really they can't find because it's them. Yeah. Um, and that's re- re- really where the drama in both films comes in and the tension. Um, Absolutely. And in Infernal Affairs, um, it's done very cleverly through the fact that both the moles yeah. communicate in the same way, which yeah. is different to The Departed. In The Departed, there's obviously cell phones and texting and yeah. uh, a lot of similar things. But specifically, Sam's gang operate on Morse code. Yeah. Which is a really interesting kind of thing when you talk about Hong Kong culture and how it was influenced by kind of European war and um, kind of colonialism and how how Morse code is something that a Hong Kong police department wouldn't necessarily pick up on, but a gang would use. Hong Kong in 2002 as well, where you're thinking about a country that's very young in finding its feet back to being you know chinese and and or or yeah independent of britain not independent but yeah (laughs) certainly not independent uh of uh of china but um uh yeah certainly independent of yeah that kind of british colonial rule and and i think that kind of comes across in the film um um uh because there are sort of elements that where you can feel that um um yeah there was a, a a review I read, um, I think it was Peter Bradshaw in the Guardian of, of it, and he 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 said a really nice great, um, phrase. He said it was um, you can you can feel you can feel the hands of old Britain and new America, mm. which I really think is 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 true about Hong Kong at that time at the uh, turn of the twenty first century. Um, uh, and I think yeah, you kind of feel that in this film, um, and also there's an element of consumerism that is in the uh, Sullivan character. Um, mm-hmm. I've forgotten the name of the, the character in in uh, the, Lao. No, Lao. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. Uh, who who is buying you know really high tech uh, 
Kenwood um, yeah. uh, sound equipment. Um, and there's this kind of big focus on because the characters cross over and meet without knowing yeah. who they are very early on. Uh, and it's it's kind of consumerism and, 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 and capitalism in a way that is more unique to Hong Kong than it would be to, for example, Beijing, where you and yeah. I spent a lot of time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it does feel like this is inherited a culture that essentially was oppressive, but it's also still there and being re-owned by the people who live there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, and, 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 and I do think that is shown in The Departed with the scene of, of, of um, Sullivan buying the apartment. Um, well, absolutely, it's, it's echoed there. That's, that but it has a different meaning, yeah. I think, um, without the global context. But there's certainly something about, yeah, Damon playing Sullivan's character of who am I? Well, I am defined by the flat that I live in. Yeah. And the view and yeah. the fact that I'll be upper class with the estate agent says you'll be upper class within two weeks. Yeah. If yeah. you live here. Yeah. And he buys the flat immediately. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. And I think also especially interesting now when you think of the amount of turmoil that Hong Kong are going through um, with the students, the protests and yeah. this battle over identity yeah. uh, over this city, which is, you know, never been more relevant as it has been today. Yeah. Um, highlighted even further by the COVID nineteen yeah. crisis, but now now we're in a we're in a tough spot because for though for anyone that hasn't seen the film, I'm kind of really reluctant to expose the expose ending. expose the ending because I think especially with the Departed, part of its brilliance is in a few big shocks that come at the end of that film. At the same time, it was released in 2006, so I do kind of feel that there there has to be a cut-off point for spoilers, doesn't there? And also, if you're going to listen yeah. to this and haven't seen the film, then I guess it's on you, isn't it? For us, even if we went blow by blow, uh, having recently watched Departed, we still wouldn't give away all the spoilers. No. Uh, because there are so many little twists and turns. Yeah. But there should be a spoiler alert for some of the things we're going to talk about. Yeah. Uh, I think we are going to have to let a few things slide. Um, uh especially when we talk about some some detailed things that aren't featured in fan, yeah. in the in infernal affairs yeah. um but yeah this morse code thing both both uh you know parties both moles yeah having this sign of communication and kind of recognizing each other a little bit but not knowing who they are but yeah. just knowing what what where they are and what they're doing but yeah. not knowing the identity of each other yeah is really interesting um and i think that that is also played really beautifully in in what well, it does become a cat and mouse game right yeah um in the departed um but for me i also just want to shout out to i mean we could do this all day in the departed mark Wahlberg's performance in yeah. this portion you know the first kind of third of the film is yeah. just my favorite mark Wahlberg performance ever I, I, w- I would completely agree and 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 also worth mentioning that he was the only actor nominated for an Oscar. He was nominated for Best Supporting. Wow. Leo and Damon weren't for, for Best Actor. Which is which really is... interesting because actually it is quite a small supporting... Yeah. It's not it the is, type yeah. of role that normally you'd get nominated for a supporting no. actor. Because it is relatively small, yeah. but so impactful and so... Yeah. I mean, it, it's great casting, um, of course. But... Lost out to Alan Arkin for Little Miss Sunshine, I believe. 
okay, yeah. I mean, again, give Alan Arkin whatever he wants, exactly, basically. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, he's Alan Arkin, and it's a great movie. Yeah. Um, but still, yeah, Wahlberg is phenomenal in this. And uh, I think what is what is explored really well is Infernal Affairs has a slight sense of humour through it. Yeah. And it's a macabre sense of humour, especially yeah. when you think of the relationship with Jan and the ESP. Yeah. Where he's like, oh, come on, I'll get you out after this. One more job and then we'll get you out and yeah. you'll have your identity back. And he's like... <laughs> come on i you know he's really cynical it's, and jaded it's 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 something that's really common in in um east asian cinema um um i'd say specifically hong kong and korean cinema um is this real yeah kind of wry cynical sense of humor that flows through pretty much any kind of genre um film um that comes out there's there's this real propensity for adding in these these moments of humor um uh that kind of undercut the other things that are meant to be happening whether that's a horror whether it's a monster film whether it's mm. um a drama you know that you you've got these these real kind of suddenly gear shifts that they put in that do make you kind of go like what? feel a um, bit out of out of place yeah but, but, but I, I really like it I it's really quirky like that, that um yeah uh, kind of trope that you see a lot in um in East Asian cinema. Um but I think it also is mirrored in the departed in oh, for sure. in terms of this constant juxtaposition of very witty, very funny dialogue, very funny situations, and also we're talking about the highest possible stakes, i.e. human lives are, yeah. uh, that are at stake yeah. and are disposed of in every other scene. Yeah. Um, you know, Jack Nicholson coming out with blood all over his hands yeah. and talking yeah. very matter-of-factly to people as if he's just in the middle of doing his tax return. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's now, uh, constantly funny. <clears throat> now, plot-wise, we come to an interesting an interesting diversion uh, uh, between the films. Um, in fact, really, I would say plot-wise... If you if you talk about the fact that the amalgamation of the love interest is kind of more character than it is plot, um, plot wise, I would say the only real major difference is what happens kind of next in in where we are in the story, which is there is a revelation in The Departed that Frank Costello is an FBI informant. Yes, which which absolutely changes the motivation of what Matt Damon does. Yeah. Uh, compared to what Lau does, yeah, which I find really interesting because it means that those those actions are coming from totally different places. Um, you know, um, so so we'll we'll kind of go on and uh, and get there. So obviously Matt Damon discovers that. Um, um, well, actually they both do. Damon and DiCaprio kind of near the same time discover that he's an FBI informant. Yeah, uh, Frank Costello, and ha- and it's a betrayal really of the it's whole crime be- world because yeah. they all risk their lives for this guy. Well, I think that's it. I think that's what Matt Damon plays really nicely. Mm. Is like, are you kidding me? Of everything I've had to do for you, and you've been on the set in the inside as anyway. So yeah. why did I need to do any of this? Like, why well, have I had to give up my whole? I create a fake life yeah. for you when you've just been going to the good guys anyway like yeah. what's you know and i think he really plays that well and 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 um um uh, there's this selfishness that that uh jack nicholson's character costello justifies everything he does yeah um and he talks a little bit about fate and yeah. i thought actually this is kind of interesting because fate is probably the kind of anglo-american version of buddhist yeah you know and there's a moment even when sam talks about fate he says oh we're 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 taking fate when he talks to his crew at the beginning you know we're taking fate into our own hands and and there's something about costello going well actually there's no right or wrong 
when you've got a cop or a gangster, when you're looking down the barrel of the gun, is there any difference yeah. between a good guy and a bad guy? And and I think that the fact that Costello goes to the FBI kind of is him saying, well, I told you, yeah. but that is not enough to justify the risks people are taking on your behalf. Yeah. Uh, and certainly not for Sullivan. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, um, so, so yeah, so that revelation happens. That doesn't happen in Infernal Affairs. Um, uh, Sam is not working for any kind of inside government thing. Um, so once this revelation happens in Departed um, uh, and doesn't in Infernal Affairs, the film continues on and, and um, they eventually get to this big kind of uh deal drug deal thing that's gonna happen in both films and um lao sullivan same character end up shooting and killing sam or or frank costello yeah so this is what i mean about the difference so matt damon is doing it as you say as he's been completely betrayed lao is doing it as far as i can see because he's either he's made the decision to be better or because he's not because he that conversation with his wife happens later mm. so so it it it's either that or or he's saying so I, i'm i'm going to take over i'm going to yeah. be the one now i think it's the latter yeah and and i think it is up for grabs but I think based on the way he behaves, not just when he kills Sam, yeah. that he says, um, you made your choice in Infernal yeah. Affairs. Yeah. He says to Sam, he shoots him, and then he says to Sam's dead body, you made your choice. And yeah. I feel like it was him saying, you've taught me so well, I'm actually better than you. Yeah. And I'm, I don't like doing it, but yeah. I, me murdering you is credit to you telling me how to be a criminal and bring it, and now I'm better than you. And that's how I felt loud I think was, you're right. was, I think was playing. Right. Yeah. Uh, that was played. Um, uh, and, and it was pretty cold. I also think, though, the motivation is FBI, but I think it there's something that changes in Damon's performance when mm. he says you're FBI and then he kind of talks back to him and says, oh, I would only, you know... Jack Nicholson's got blood coming out of him. Yeah. This big piece of theatre going on in the corner yeah. of a dump truck. Yeah. Um, and he says, oh, I'd only give up people who were going down anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, there's something that just kind of feels so calculated about Damon's choice to carry on. Mm. And I think he almost goes, oh, well, I was annoyed, but actually this has worked out really well for me because yes. I am scot-free. And we see that callousness carry through in both films yeah. uh, into the scene that happens later. I think Sullivan is a weaker person than Lau is. Yeah. I think that's the difference. Yeah, there's a vulnerability yeah. there. Whereas Lau, I don't think, has any. And that's the, the rift in Lau's relationship yeah. with, his, with his wife at home seems to come from the fact that she's going i don't know where your vulnerability is i don't know who you yeah. are you yeah. you play every role so well but you play 28 different people yeah um and i don't know what this is this is difficult for her whereas i think actually matt damon's problem is that he's trying to genuinely be every a man for every man yeah you know he's trying to yeah. adapt his personality for everyone in a slightly less psychotic way so yeah i think you're right there's a there's a robustness in lao's character that lacks with damon sullivan yeah um 
so we should also say as well that um uh, again this happens in both films uh just before the scene we talked about um uh to throw heat off himself the lao slash sullivan uh gets the cops to track the respective superintendent chief of police yeah. so martin sheen uh or the sp character in um in infernal affairs and their um um, he obviously then goes to the gang and says, you know, mm-hmm. he's going to be here. And in both films, he gets chucked off a roof quite quite brutally. Quite brutally. Um, uh, although, sadly, Infernal Affairs doesn't have the beautiful shot of Martin Sheen flying, <laughs> flying through the air. Falling through the air. Again, just I just go, how do you do mind. that? Because Martin Sheen's definitely too old to do that on stunt. Crash mats. I, uh, I mean, yeah, but even you throw a 70-year-old man 10 feet off a crash mat. You, be- you better make sure you get it in one take. That DOP must be on it. I mean, don't because f- he's not going to do that several times. Don't forget, this is the same guy you know filming Apocalypse now, completely cut up all his yeah. hands and everything. And that's very true. Continued filming yeah. and yeah, uh, yeah, that was not meant to happen, was it? No, uh, at all. No. Uh, and Coppola was like, "This is gross." Uh, yeah, uh, but then keep ended up keep, keep, keep yeah. kept it in there. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and there's elements of uh, Departed as well that has a lot of. Um, a lot of moments that are not necessarily scripted. Yeah. Um, there's one particular... Everything Jack Nicholson does, basically. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, there's the, uh, and he's talked about quite quite a lot uh, uh, in kind of like, at the time in the film yeah. world, there's a specific scene and it's kind of, you know, a moment that's really, you know, as you spoke to, the idea that mm. they, when they realise there are rats in both camps and yeah. when Sam realises he's mm-hmm. got a, a rat, he has kind of a, a meeting with, you know, Jan and says, oh, you know, y- you are a rat. And he goes, no, I'm your best mate. And he goes, yeah. oh, yeah, I trust you the most. And they have a whiskey together and that's yeah. it. Happens yeah. about, it's about 15 seconds, if yeah. that, 10 yeah. seconds long. Yeah. Um, so the same scene is obviously necessary to, you know, for, to the storyline of Departed. But they take about 15 minutes and uh, rather than 10 seconds and in it, you get an improv masterclass from Jack Nicholson yeah. and you can watch the terrified eyes of Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> yeah. trying to work out what the hell's going on. So, so, so he's talking about a rat. He's in his restaurant bar and he's drawing a picture of a rat, hence like a charcoal drawing, which yeah. I, I think Jack Nicholson genuinely d- does quite a lot. He's Possibly, sold quite well, a lot of yeah, art, hasn't I he? I believe, certainly he used to be, I read this about 10 years ago, so I don't know if it's changed, but at one point he had the third largest private art collection in the world. Right. Okay. I knew there was something about him being a, an art buff. He's got like Picassos under his bath, apparently, and things like that. And just, like, Come ridiculous. on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, apparently he's made most of his money from the merchandise of the Batman uh, yeah, franchise rather than his film. Yeah, it's it's the it's the most lucrative deal in, in, in film history because it's... <laughs> yeah, he would only play Joker for the, obviously, the, the um, uh, Tim, Burton, Tim Burton, the first Batman, yeah. Michael Keaton. Um uh, yeah, he'd only play it if he could get a back end on. Um, uh, uh, so, so he gets a percentage of any subsequent Batman film. So the Nolan ones, the one that's about to come out with Robert Pattinson, that's insane, isn't he it? Get, yeah, it was because yeah, it was it was you know with Warner Brothers who's who hold the rights to any kind of Batman things. It wasn't just that film; it's the Batman franchise. He has he gets a, a cut of clever man, insane. yeah. 
So he's there, um, sitting in the scene in the restaurant, surrounded by money and Picasso's. No, uh, yeah. drawing this charcoal rat, and you know, Leonardo DiCaprio comes down, and uh, and they have this chat where he says, you know, are you the rat? I mean, he's asked him loads of times and beaten him up, but they've said, you know, are you the rat? And he's kind of says, no, no, I'm not. I promise. And then, for some reason, Jack Nicholson um, sets fire to the paper for real yeah and then blows it out and stamps it out then he, he spits whiskey out onto it before he sets fire to it actually yeah. he spits or brandy or something all over the table then he um there's this cigarette that he's not smoking that's billowing smoke yeah. right across the camera and it just looks beautiful yeah um and then and then he does this whole transforms his face into, into a, rat's a rat face. Yeah, an impression of a rat. And um, you can just see real fear. And apparently yeah. it was genuine fear. Like they um, they he'd said, I don't want Leo to, to know what's gonna happen in here. We're gonna play with the lines a bit, but he kills a fly and eats it at one point. Oh yeah, he does. Why does he yeah. eat the fly? I don't know. I mean he sucks it, it off the palm of his hand. Yeah, that I was, I was I mean, it's really weird scene. Yeah. But I love every single minute of yeah. it. And yeah. I think one thing that Scorsese does in lots of his movies mm-hmm. um, is, I mean, you've got great narrative, but then you've got it just, the narrative pauses for these set pieces of theatre. Yeah. And I really, really, really enjoy them. Yeah. And everyone's just acting their tits off throughout the, throughout well, the film. And I love it. It's love funny. It. He was, he was um, interviewed uh, after he won the Oscar and, and um, someone said, you know, oh, why do you, why do you think this is the first film you actually, ended up winning for and he said because it's the first film i've done with a plot (laughs) (laughs) yeah goes even more in a lot Mm. of his other films it is very character based and and very exploratory of character probably more than plot in 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 a lot of his films um i suppose goodfellas essentially is when you think about it is a you know young man grows up becomes a gangster is a gangster yeah dies like that's sorry you know missed the end of it but yeah i mean that, there's not a lot that really happens that's a really yeah. good point um yeah but you can quote the hell out of it because of yeah. all these amazing performances and set pieces uh, he doesn't die in the first he becomes oh, a performance. yeah he doesn't he, yeah you're right um um but yeah um it's uh there's there uh, there's something i find interesting another difference um that i want to bring up that uh is in infernal affairs you feel the relationship between the mafia boss and the police chief a lot more there's there's more frequent meetings between the two of them mm. there's one lovely little scene between sheen and Warburg and and, and uh, nicholson in departed and that's about it um but it it it, all, it, it reminded me of um uh, the, the incredible, amazing, 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 please go and watch it. It's on Netflix now, Jiri Hadji. Oh, incredible and uh, and so sad that it hasn't been renewed. Yeah, I'm, nonsense, an absolute nonsense. Watch it and then um, watch it again. It's one of the best yeah. things I've seen in years. Um, uh, but that's that's a that's a, 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 a Japanese-British um, co-pro. And the, that film's a really interesting film on exploring how much of the same world law enforcement and criminals operate Mm. and and actually how they're almost they have these relationships even though they both know that they're out to get the other other one because there's no hard evidence because there's no way i can just arrest you here and there it's like they have these semi-open conversation it's it's Mm. it's fascinating and and actually i would say that departed has a great line 
that maybe kind of speaks to this uh, about, um, you know, saying, or would you rather be a criminal or a cop when you're staring down the barrel of a gun? What's the difference? As I was saying earlier on, yeah. that, yeah, it, it is really, there's a, a shared, it's like honour amongst thieves, but honour honor amongst everyone playing the game, the cops yeah. and robbers. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that that is explored in both movies. You're right. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, but I, I think it's stronger. It comes across to me stronger in Infernal Affairs anyway, that that you really feel this shared history between between Sam and the police chief. Yeah. Um, Especially in the scene where he throws his needles at him. And yes, <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, a yeah. kind of dramatic moment and he's yeah. got his six men behind him. Yeah. And you feel kind of dis- the disappointment of the fact that he wouldn't shake his hand. He's like, yeah. Yeah, we're going to kill it. I suppose it's a bit like lawyers, you know, who constantly prosecution and defence go against each other all the time, yeah. but actually really get on yeah. outside of it. But when it when the game's on, they'll do anything to destroy each other. Yeah. There's also something really interesting about, in, in again, because it's the same structure in both films, this idea that how... It feels to me almost like that there's this feeling of when the police chief and the mafia boss in both films die it's like now that adults have gone the morality goes and the children <laughs> are left to behave however they want yeah that's interesting yeah because they're both seen as such parental figures to the respective sides yeah. and it feels like once they're removed the cons- the actions and the consequences that happen suddenly become a lot more reckless yeah and I wonder if that's if that's if that's a deliberate thing or not. And and that's ultimately, I I think, what gets our Yan character uh, into hot water at the end yeah. of the film. Which, although I've seen Devada several times, still took me by surprise uh, <laughs> yeah. in the scene in the elevator with yeah. with Leo DiCaprio, because um, I kind of go, oh, and I I think both films do this. It they play and toy with the idea of as we kind of talk about quite a lot, the Aristotelian, uh, yeah. you know structure of tragedy yeah where you go hey that's not meant to happen there yeah and even if you don't know it you just you know and you're not looking at it from a dramaturgical perspective you've yeah. watched enough disney films to know when it's meant to go up again right yeah. it's meant to go better get yeah. better again and um and you go oh hang, hang on hang on no oh but you can't undo that how well, does like, it how are you gonna play with it i think i think what what both films do very cleverly is for the majority of the film they make you th- again speaking in aristotle terms they make you think that the tragic hero is costigan yeah. slash uh yan and it's not it's sullivan slash Lau. Right? absolutely um but you don't realize that until 20 minutes before the end of the film yeah it's essentially damon or or, or uh, Lau's um journey yeah. uh, in terms of a hero's journey yeah. yeah um and they're sympathetic as a result but i think you're right earlier as you said damon is sullivan's much more sympathetic as a character yeah even though he's awful yeah he says i didn't have a choice you know mm-hmm. uh, uh you know whereas you know you do have yeah. a choice um and and i think then also at the end of departed there is a little bit of kind of classical comeuppance yes. where the balance is restored and everyone can leave the cinema at yes. least going oh well eh, well evil didn't entirely win yes um and a nice little return of mark Wahlberg as well but in infernal affairs there's none of that no but in infernal affairs for me i actually genuinely believe lao wants to be the good guy right i don't 
agree with his actions, but I think the reason why he kills Mr. B or whatever he's called, the, 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 the other police um, guy that was that ends up being undercover that, that kills Yan, I think he kills him. I got that he kills him because he wants to erase all of that past now and be mm. the good guy for his wife. And I and I believe him. I don't know if that's true. Mm. I th- I think that's really interesting. I didn't get that. Okay. But I don't know if I didn't get that because I'm also framing it against the departed. Yeah. Because it's very clear to me that Sullivan's in business for himself. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he cares about being good. No, I, 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 I don't think Sullivan does, but I think Lau does. Okay, yeah. That's really interesting. Um, um, because, uh, based on um, uh, the way Andy Lau plays it um, compared to the way that Damon plays it. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Um, I felt there was more sincerity, legitimate sincerity in, in Andy Lau's performance. Um, rather than I thought Damon is playing is playing Sullivan. Again, it's uh, saying he's... I think he's just kind of more spineless. And like you say, I think he's 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 playing self-serving. And yeah. he's playing that he's absolutely happy to keep lying, to... to make sure all these strands stay where they're yeah. meant to stay um whereas whereas there does feel something from Lau that he is as maybe that's maybe that's why i'm saying it feels more in infernal affairs like it's two sides of the same coin because for me in infernal affairs Lau feels as much conflicted about identity as Yan does mm. I don't get that from Sullivan that he's that conflicted about I, I get that he's really angry and that he feels like he's been betrayed and lied to by Costello and I think I think he feels I think he resents Costello for forcing him to be his surrogate son and I mm. think that's because he says what well, just before he kills him when he says you're like what like a son to me that's what this has all been about isn't mm. it? you know and and i and at that moment i think you see he's gone you never i never had a chance i never had a chance because you forced me to be this son for you mm. um but i don't think that's necessarily about identity or who he is i think that's about realizing childhood things but i don't i don't think he's conflicted about his identity in the same way that Lau is I, yeah. I would say and I think that that's an interesting point and to come back to again. So I feel like there there is this theme of identity in Infernal Affairs because he, he says at the end, you know, what do you want? What can I give you? And he realizes that he's the informant and he doesn't. He but but Yan doesn't know that he's a corrupt cop. Um, and he says, I don't. You know, I don't want anything. I just want my identity back. Um, and the same scene almost happens kind of word for word with Departed. He yeah. says, oh, I'll get your cash. He's like, all I want is my identity. He said, your identity is a cop. He's like, no, I, my identity as a cop is broken as well. I mm-hmm. I just need to be me and yeah. I need to go and find that is. And that means I need freedom and a new identity, a new start in life away from the police force and away from gangsters yeah. and away from all of it. Um, and this freedom to kind of live his his authentic life and be his true self. Now, in an interview... Um, it's very Crucible, wait. isn't it? Give me my name. It or... is, yeah. <laughs> it is. It's a Miller-esque um, yeah. in that sense, where 
Where there's an interview, where I, uh, I interview called Kaufman. I don't know if you read the same thing, mm. um, uh, film critic who interviewed Scorsese, and he said, "What do you think the film's about?" And he said, "I think the film's about identity." Mm. And Kaufman said, "Oh, that's interesting because I think I did. I don't think you conveyed that in the film Departed. I think it's a great movie, but mm. I don't think that comes across." And I think, having watched Eternal Affairs, and that well. If Scorsese's watched Infernal Affairs, which no doubt he would have done in preparation for uh, doing nope, it. Nope, nope. Scorsese. Uh, okay. Scors- yeah, Scorsese didn't know he was directing a remake until halfway through the shoot. Oh, Marty. Because William Monaghan just what hadn't told him. I don't. I don't understand how that happened. But I was reading that earlier. Yeah. Um, that Scorsese had no idea that it was a remake. That's really interesting. Okay. Well, I think it's interesting that he, from Monaghan's adaptation, yeah, that he felt he wanted to make a film about identity. Yeah. Because if you watch Infernal Affairs, there are lines that say, this is what my driving force is. Yeah. It's about identity. Yeah. But I think that's really conveyed well in Infernal Affairs. I don't think it is conveyed as well in no. Departed. No. Uh, and I agree with Kaufman on that point, but it's fascinating to know that he didn't know no. he was making that adaptation. Isn't that interesting? Perhaps as an artist, you know, that, that can be helpful though, because yes. otherwise you end up referring to the source material all the time. Yeah. But I mean, there are some of those scenes word for word are lifted. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because when I learned that, I thought, gosh, that makes me realise how how much in service of the screenplay Scorsese must be as a director. Because the only way that those can be similar is because those shots are written in the script because they're the same... Shots, so many yeah. of the same shots and settings and so, you know so so he the, must the driving range diverged. as you mentioned yeah uh, that scene the information that happens in it and the characters and the setting the same yeah uh the how do you, how do you tell someone's a cop conversation yeah word for word yeah um the the fact that it's all flip phones and the amount of what yeah. like what text messages get seen by the audience yeah. is really clear um and yeah, it's almost shot for shot. So I'm, I'm assuming, yeah, that must be Monaghan's uh, direction in the script um, yeah. about where that comes and Scorsese honouring that. Yeah, yeah, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. But, I'm, but I I mean, I... I actually think that I prefer the filming of the ending in Infernal Affairs and The Departed. Not the, not the end end, but the the everything on the roof up till and just after the the killing of Jan slash Costigan, I actually really found it quite moving and quite beautifully shot and the specific underscoring that they used. Um, um, There's a lovely uh, a shot. I, I on... just felt I was really engrossed by by it, um, even though I knew what was going to happen because we just watched The Departed. But in in a mm. way that. That when when this part of it happens, again, it's all based around shock factor. That end, which is amazing the first time you see the film, but every other time you know it's coming. Yeah, um, and it's always a little bit because of how it's edited and and um, and it, quite rightly the um, editing was nominated for an Oscar as well because it's phenomenal editing in the part of it. Um, um, it does make you do that, but but it I'm detached in a way that I wasn't detached with the ending of Infernal Affairs. I, I found it quite emotionally. I found it more emotionally engaging, I think. I think that's really interesting. I know that the editing in Infernal Affairs was done by the Pang Brothers, who mm. are famous for uh, Hong Kong and Thai horror. 
Yeah. Um, that directors and writers themselves, but yeah, in yeah, this yeah, yeah. film are editing. And I thought that it kind of bookended the film quite nicely in terms of you had lots of cutaways and fades mm-hmm. that felt a bit cheesy at the beginning for me. Yeah. But the same device used at the end mm-hmm. was not cheesy. And yeah. I, I agree with you that it held. There was a lovely shot where, um, uh, without spoiling too much, you know, Yan's on the roof and he pulls the gun and puts mm-hmm. it into his chest and the camera swings round, much yeah. like a John Woo shot, actually. <laughs> yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah, very much. And it reveals the you know Yan behind mm-hmm. Lao, and it's the revelation that so so as an, you're not getting it from the character's point of view, yeah. but you're getting the same emotion that the character is yeah. ha- having. And I think that that's something that um, again East Asian cinema tends to do really well. Yeah. It doesn't try and put you in the eyes of the character; yeah. it tries to put you into the emotional place of the yeah. of the characters. Yeah. And that's something that Western directors tend to not... It's just not the way yeah. films are made in that sense because it's slightly abstract. And again, something that you see in Jiri Hashi yeah. uh, in terms of having an Im- influence of Japanese uh, yeah. cinematography in there as well. Yeah, yeah, and, and purely from a from a cinematographical point of view, uh, just uh, one moment that really, really stood out to me was um, when, when he... Um, when Lao shoots um, the other undercover cop in the elevator and all you see is the mm. outside of the elevator and these just holes of light from where the bullet's gone through the elevator and it's, it's like really smart. beams of light shooting up and i just thought it was stunning really 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 clever um um bit of bit of filming um and also i don't think there's any cgi in in this film no uh in infernal uh, in, and i really expected there to be some kind of special effects um and maybe there was, so I just couldn't see the lines. But I mean, mm-hmm. that, for example, that looks like a real elevator shaft. Yeah. It doesn't look like it's been, no. you know, been been yeah. mocked up at all. I thought it was really clever. Um, and it, the whole film feels quite raw as a, as a result of that. Yeah. In terms of one other thing that I think we should probably mention is, you know, every time Scorsese brings out a film... I think I think the 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 soundtrack makes as much money as the film does, yeah. right? Yeah. Um. Everyone knows Casino's famous for for certain kind of songs that are will ever forever be associated with those shots. Uh, yeah. Same with Goodfellas. Yeah. Like you'll never think of you know Sinatra in the same way. Yeah. Uh, or uh, it's evoking of the time that you're in. And Scorsese always uses his soundtrack to say, "Here's where we are. This is the type mm-hmm. of place we are, and this is the mood everyone's in." And yeah. it's he. It's brilliant at that. I would say that Infernal Affairs doesn't have the same approach no. to to soundtrack, and and that's not a good thing or a bad thing, but it's entirely different. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know that the um, composer, again, is a Hong Kong uh, classical composer, I've forgotten his name, um, who has done quite a few uh, kind of Hong Kong films, but he's a classical, Chinese classical composer at yeah. heart. Um, and I think there was a, an awful lot of kind of tradition like interesting ideas like asian music has a you know quarter note scales as well and and uh like indian classical music there's yeah. a, a whole kind of more breadth to it than the structured uh british or european classical music yeah but i felt like uh I f- and as often with film scores um in east asian films as well even if the music's slightly off off the stave as it were yeah it's often played by what we would associate as Western instruments like cellos or violins mm-hmm. or pianos. And so I kind of enjoyed listening to that, but essentially it does sound a bit more European than quite a lot of Asian yeah. soundtracks I've heard. Yeah. Um, and it developed throughout the movie. 
and you commented at one point actually on the score because it was the first oh, time there was a, a randomly an electric guitar suddenly came into the score yeah. two thirds of the way through the film it's like, okay and it's the first time you yeah. heard an electric guitar whereas Scorsese you've heard yeah. about 60 by the time the first sequence ended um, and it was interesting and then there yeah. were, a, a big brass section came in for yeah. like a bar and a half and yeah. that was it uh, and then moved away again. Um, what 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 I found quite funny was their complete reluctance to ever fade in and out a piece of underscoring. <laughs> yeah, so it just absolutely. on full volume. The Mets usually go, oh my God, where's that come from? Oh, okay, no, it's the underscoring. Yeah. <laughs> okay, they don't give you any warning at all. Yeah. Um, um, none, none more uh, prevalent of that than, um, than after the chief inspector falls on dies on top of the car and suddenly you've just got this choir but it's full volume from the begin from the onset and yeah. it's like oh my god yeah <laughs> i think the voices are coming towards us is, <laughs> is that well there, there's a line in the beginning of the movie where he's yeah. trying to sell the kenwood thing yeah, yeah and yeah, he yeah. says oh you can hear the human voices Voice coming human, towards yeah, you yeah. and at the end of the film it's like, i can hear them I now hear them, yeah yeah um but something else with with a score and i always kind of think of score and soundtrack as being ultimately glued together i mean everything in a good film should be but um i i kind of noticed um that infernal affairs when it is when there isn't any underscoring yeah and perhaps because it's kind of on or off you notice it more is a very quiet film yes the scenes in this you know very high uh high uh functioning you know special police department the offices are very quiet you yeah. don't have the hum of a photocopier you don't have everything's kind of glass partitioned in and you don't really hear yeah. anything unless people are actually talking yeah whereas in departed obviously you're set in boston uh it's a bustling city where you've constantly got the noise of the city around yeah. you whether it's cars or radios or you know the back of restaurants and mm-hmm. um there's steam coming up because it's a scorsese film i mean you know i I've, I've never been to boston but i don't know if there's that much steam yeah. in yeah. I, or or in joker with new york you yeah, know, yeah, yeah every time you shoot new york you've got everything steam everywhere it, yeah. i don't think there is all the time uh but it's beautiful to watch but there's yeah. that noise happening constantly yeah. and i noticed there was a difference and then i thought actually hong kong is a hugely noisy city right yeah but what the difference is is that you've got this height of skyscrapers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i remember in beijing you know which is very different to hong kong yeah. but in terms of probably the busiest city i've been in yeah. and i've been in london for a long time yeah um when you're in the building you're 25 floors up yeah you might be able to ha- hear the air conditioning but it is a very quiet place to live yeah um when you're you know, up in or work up in those high high rises. That's very true. And I yeah. thought there's a difference there between the height of the city of Tokyo and Boston, which is just not a skyscraper mm-hmm. city in the same way. But then I also thought of something else in terms of what does that speak to about in both films that the the death is is the good cop falling from the sky, mm. and what does that tell us about who's looking after us up there? And yeah. this idea of corruption, whether it's corrupt a corrupt gangster or a corrupt cop, yeah, it's corruption coming from the sky that is going to kind of undo us. And I kind of thought maybe I'm reading way too much. Into no, this. no, no. But I, if it hadn't I, been I, for the yeah, if it hadn't been for the soundtracks, I wouldn't even have started thinking that way. And yeah. I just thought, God, it's such a reminder of how important the soundtrack is yeah. to any movie or any yeah. piece of TV. Or 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 complete 
lack of, as you say. Mm. I mean, um, uh, if you don't already know this about me, then you need to go and listen to a lot more about any requests. Because I think I said every other one, <laughs> but I love silence. I love silence in film. I love silence in theatre. I think it's it's such a powerful device. And one of my favourite scenes in Infernal Affairs is the two kind of two of the lackeys of Sam uh having a little chat and and working out who's cops and saying there's cops and it's just a really long scene of them just looking at everyone and it's silent absolute silent you can't even hear the streets and they're outside for this so it feels like they've actually turned down the street noise and it's just them watching people and it feels like quite a lot for what's a very short economic film yeah um they actually spent some time on it and and yeah i just loved it i thought it was a really nice use of silence um I really built the tension. I remember at this time, um, I'm a big Radiohead fan, um, and and Johnny Greenwood is one of my kind of little heroes. Mm-hmm. Like I've never met him because I think I would genuinely be starstruck if I did. <laughs> um, but when I uh, found it, he'd he'd scored the film for There Will Be Blood, mm. um, and I realised he'd he'd actually scored a um, a, a couple of documentaries, a, a nature mm-hmm. documentary. Um, and uh, and I think he does pretty much all of Paul Thomas Anderson's films now. Paul, he? Paul so Thomas Anderson f- watched this documentary and uh, okay. hired Johnny Greenwood as, as a result. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, and has la- actually lifted some of that score for for There Will Be Blood. Anyway, I I love There Will Be Blood. You yeah. know, it's a great big theatrical performance from Daniel Day Lewis as always, and uh, uh, it's a great movie and a fantastic score. But also at the Your same milkshake. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, completely. Oh! All the way to my milk. H.W. I've abandoned my child. I've abandoned my boy. <laughs> um, so yeah, if you don't, you don't need to see it now. That's the whole. <laughs> that's all the best bits of the film. Um, but this, at the similar time, No Country for Old Men came out. Yeah. And again, you've got wonderful performances. Yeah. Uh, fantastic cinematography. Uh, Javier Bardem being just enigmatic and yeah. beautiful and disgusting. Everything about him is. And I was like, oh, I'll, I'll look up the soundtrack to that. Mm. And I realised that there isn't one. That there's no score. Oh, really? And when you talk about the importance of silence in movies. Yeah, it's, but yeah. it's the only movie where the only thing you hear is the, the tumbleweed mm. of this kind of barren land. Yeah. I thought, gosh, that's amazing. I didn't even notice there wasn't a score yeah. until I went to look it up. Look up. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and you just think two great movies back to back, one of them filled with, you know, strings and mechanical noises from yeah. the imagination of Johnny Greenwood and one with absolute silence. Absolutely. Uh, be- beautiful uh, contrasting filmmaking techniques there. And, and, and Scorsese really makes some interesting choices. Like you've got Comfortably Numb in there. But it's the it's the Roger Waters, and I believe featuring Van Morrison on that. Is it? It's a live version, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's a live one. Yeah. Um, and I, mean, I don't know about you. If I, you know, when I talk about Pink Floyd, uh, and I I talk about live Pink Floyd, you know, videos that I go back and watch. If there's anything, you know, since they broke up, it's always the Dave Gilmore Pink Floyd that well, I'm looking course. at, yeah. right? Because that's the guitar I want to listen to, and that's the voice that I want to hear. Although I actually. Th- most of my favourite Pink Floyd songs are actually the ones Waters wrote, which is interesting, which I went right. back and looked and thought, oh, that's interesting, because I much prefer 
like you, Gilmore's voice, and certainly Gilmore's guitar playing because he's just insane. Um, but Waters as a lyricist is, is probably more of a poet. Is, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I'll go for that. But yeah, when this came out, I was like, "Oh, come to me down." Oh, hang on a minute. Oh, it's Roger Waters. Oh, and, and yeah, yeah. There's yeah. another person there. Yes, yeah, it's, and it's it, I can hear that it's a live version and maybe even audience in the background. Yeah, and then I get really distracted because something beautiful happens. Yeah. Um, and it's, I just remember as a teenager finding this to be the most a beautiful scene. And there's no nudity in it. No. And it's really tasteful. And Scorsese nearly always has nipples featuring in he his does, films. Yeah. Gratuitous or not. In this scene, there's a really beautiful little moment between uh, Fariga and um, and DiCaprio. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have comfortably numb underscoring it. And it's, uh, yeah, it is. But it's a really weird choice. You're right. Yeah. You're specific. Yeah, very that. specific. Very specific. And. You obviously, you've got shipping up to Boston, which is just great. And the, the Dropkick so, Murphys, yes, so um, synonymous with that film. So it was used in all the promo stuff. Um, it's fantastic. It's just energy and drive yeah. and Irish aggression. Just, yeah, you know exactly. You know, oh yeah. I mean, even if you didn't hear the lyrics "Shipping Up to Boston," you hear mm. that start and you go, "Oh yeah, you're in Boston." That's yeah, it. Um, yeah, and you've got the great "Give Me Shelter" by the Stones and. Again, um, a little bookend there yeah. as well from the beginning and the yeah. and the end, which is which is and, nice. Um, and 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 um, the other one that always stands out to me is is Roy Buchanan's "Sweet Dreams," which is the piece that closes it, which is just a beautiful guitar piece, um, absolutely beautiful uh, at the very end, which in The Departed is signalled by a rat running across, which is always I'm like it's <laughs> it's so close to being too on the nose, but almost in a way that then it's almost. Scorsese knows that and it's He's deliberately being on the nose as a yeah. It it feels like sometimes I think he always wants you to go out of the cinema smiling, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. And I think if it what you know, I would criticize a filmmaker for doing that because I'm like, why do you care if the audience like you? And then I'll go, Oh, hang on, you subjected us to like so many so much swearing and so much yeah. death and violence yeah. for the last three hours. I don't mind you giving us a little smile on the way out. Yeah. I, think, I think you're right. It's it's yeah. nice, but it is like, oh come on. Um, yeah, uh, but yeah, it's it's and it's not just the rat, is yeah. it? It's also the view mm-hmm. uh, of the view that that you know Sullivan thought yeah. would make him upper class in yeah. two weeks, and actually, yeah, it's given him a very different fate. Yeah, um, um, but yeah, which as you said is is a very different feeling that you get at the end of Infernal Affairs, which is as you say, absolutely no comeuppance for Lau. Um, and it just it ends with a with a Chinese proverb about being in hell for eternity, and you go, okay, great, great, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. Um, uh, but no, both both equally great endings, I think. Um, and, and constant I... suffering—that was the mm-hmm. uh, the constant phrase. Constant suffering. Wow, constant suffering is is what hell literally translates to when you look at yeah Buddhist uh, Avicii well, uh, stuff. And, and I suppose it does pose an interesting counter-argument to um again going back to aristotle his theory that with the tragic hero if you've killed especially if you've killed innocents then you have to die at the end Mm. and it does kind of pose a question to that of going what is worse dying or having to live the rest of your life with the guilt of knowing what you've done and that Mm. is the constant suffering worse than the you know quote unquote sweet release of death you know is is that maybe the real 
you know, tragic ending for the tragic hero is to live and not to die. Um, you know. It's really interesting. Matt Damon totally accepts <clears> his fate at the end, you know, which is great because he looks at Wahlberg and goes, okay, fine. Like, he know he was prepared, he knew it was coming, and there is an element of a release there. Yeah. Um, and he says also in the lift on the way down, mm. when he thinks he might die, he says, oh, just kill me. Just, just kill, kill me now. now. Yeah. Because he's not sure if he's going to die or whether he's going to have to go through the shame of being exposed. Yeah. And and I I don't know whether he means it, but yeah. I, th- I think for me personally, I think he means it in that moment. Just kill me. Yeah. Just kill me now. Yeah. And actually he ends up living a lot longer yeah. and, and probably is relieved when Warbird turns up. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, whereas, you know, Lau has to, you know, now, you know, traverse the rest of his life slash the next two films in the Infernal Affairs franchise, which were made, <laughs> um, uh, uh, with all of that weight and, and, and rightly or wrongly about trying to be, you know, a better person trying to be a good person now he still has to deal with all of those the consequences of all of the things that um, yeah. he's done or or you know the lack of consequence which sometimes is is even worse because you're constantly looking over your shoulder and you it's all existing within your own mind because it's one thing to tie up all those loose ends and you know try and absolve yourself but you know the guilt's still there in his in his head so it's that, that's interesting because to be specific about those quotes the, the infernal affairs opens with uh from something from the nirvana sutra about yeah. hell being constant suffering and the end uh of the film closes with an ex- the rest of that quote mm-hmm. which explains that longevity is not your friend when you're in hell yeah and i suppose actually what sam and costello mm-hmm. and lao and Yan were all looking for in some way was longevity. Yeah. But in all the wrong places. Mm-hmm. And also realising that longevity is not your friend when you're the only one who survives it and you have to yeah live within this constant suffering. Yeah. Um, yeah, that really kind of makes a lot more sense um, if you pay attention to the, to the, to the, to the proverbs <laughs> that came yeah. up on the screen. But yeah, there was something, you know, and I, I this is a question I have for you, especially going on on uh, what we were speaking about when it comes mm. to the joker yeah um but also with scorsese specifically do you think that scorsese as a violent film director as a uh you know almost entirely obsessed with crime and and well being brought up around crime in his life and having that as his subject matter do you think he's a pessimistic or an optimistic filmmaker oh i think he's an optimistic filmmaker um i mean don't forget, on balance, if you look at his whole oeuvre, it's it's actually probably more films not about crime than are. They're just the big ones. Mm, yeah, I, I mean, suppose, you yeah. know, like Age of Innocence is a like British Victorian drama, and you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's you know Hugo and you know um, Bringing Out the Dead, which is like a supernatural horror with Nick Cage, which is a great film. Um, you know, so I'm, I I I don't and New York, New York, which is a musical, which is brilliant. Um, so it's it's not necessarily. I suppose I, I'm falling into that trap of of boxing him into what I what I know because what what hits and what gets the Oscars right. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's probably not entirely fair. So yeah, so I I don't. But 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 even just taking you know Mean Streets and Casino and Goodfellas and The Departed, um, you. I, I think well you you know you said yourself often he likes people to go out with a smile on their face 
and I mm. think I think that's true, and I think that's what makes him an optimist. Um, I mean, a lot of the stuff, you know, I mean, Goodfellas is is you know very much based on a true story. Um, Departed, as I say, Whitey Bulger shares a lot of things with with Costello. I mean, there's always elements of truth. I think he's a realist. Um, um, and I think he he presents things in uh, an unapologetic way. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that necessarily makes him a pessimist. I think I think his films are very well rounded and very well made, and I think therefore they are enjoyable um, yeah. rather than harrowing. You know, there are I I, I would say I'm just trying to think of kind of contemporary directors of his that maybe like like i would say like for example i think michael mann um when you think about films like heat and especially like collateral i think his films are, i would say are, are slightly more pessimistic um there's a darkness there's a bleakness there's a hopelessness to his you know new york crime kind of kind of films maybe brian de palma as well you could say that more i don't think scorsese has that i think there's always there's always a lightness there's always a wry sense of humor oh i would agree with that and i think i think that scorsese picks out that joy of humanity right yeah uh, even if it's two guys doing their job their job happens to be cutting up a dead body they're still gonna tell some jokes while they're doing it yeah. in a scorsese movie well i mean you know but, this is this is this is why people criticize wolf of wall street because they said he was glorifying behavior because mm. the characters are enjoying that lifestyle um yeah uh, well i suppose this is my question is that even if it's you know it's a joyful experience uh i don't think it's necessarily optimistic to say this exists and that and it's not ever going to end it's a re realistic but yeah it's, but there's not there's never a sense of hope that anyone's learned to be less of an asshole at the end of the film it's just oh that's the way it goes uh, and, and I think it's a positive experience. I don't mm. think it's pessimistic in, in its experience, but I do think there is something pessimistic about the end of every gangster movie uh, that kind of, you know, that you see Scorsese do. I always kind of go, oh, it is a shame though, because if this wasn't a movie, there wouldn't be all that fun and joy yeah. necessarily. It would be quite a lot more painful for me to, to watch all these people die and, and mm -hmm. be killed and kill each other. And uh, it's, it's really sad that no one is inspired to go away and and, and not do that yeah. uh, anymore be, because it's morally wrong. And I think it would be a much more boring film if you made that film. Yeah, I don't yeah, think you should. Yeah. I don't think everyone else it's should also, either. But. It's also dependent on the audience, isn't it? I mean, if you've got a theatre full of, uh, uh, you know, hedge fund managers or day traders watching Wolf of Wall Street, they're going to have a brilliantly optimistic well, experience. It's a, it's a really optimistic this film This is for very them, true. So and I, and I remember people saying that actually it. they did see it yeah. uh, in uh, cinemas with, um, with, you know, bankers going out. Yeah genuinely whooping and cheering at yeah. all the horrendous criminal behavior that was taking yeah. place and also friends uh, of ours who have been involved in the secret cinema yeah. uh, immersive wolf mm -hmm. street um which came to an early end this year for, not just for covid19 but no. also because of the yeah. uh, illegal and depraved behavior of its wall street audience yeah. or its uh, city london city based audience yeah. so we know that there are lots of things tied up with 
with that. So yeah, I am not thinking about the context of the audience, perhaps as I should be. Yeah. Um, very interesting point. Slightly depressing though. Yeah. Uh, is my point, I, I suppose. And definitely in Infernal Affairs. Definitely. Yes. Oh yeah. yeah. And the evil continues. And even if you are a good guy and you buy that Lau is a good guy. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I, which I don't personally. No. Um. It is quite depressing. But then I didn't know that there was a second and third yes, Infernal yeah, Affairs there are, there sequel. Are. So yeah, yeah, the story continues. But yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. I mean, there's not really a lot more I want to say. No. Um, and also, I think it's full of spoilers. But I just think there were beautiful moments, real surprising mm-hmm. moments when, when there were direct lifts from a 111-minute movie. I would say yeah. the majority of that film is is absolutely in The Departed. Yeah. And then you've got another hour and a half of yeah. Scorsese kind of improvising all over the top of it. Yeah. Um, and uh, and Nicholson, I, I think, for me, it's my favourite Nicholson performance. I would agree. I, um, would, I would agree, I it, think. It's kind of, it encapsulates all the different Nicholsons that you've yeah. seen over the years. Yeah. There's bits of Cuckoo Nest in there. There's yeah. def- I talk about this film way too much. There's bits of About Schmidt in there in yeah. terms of him as an older 70-year-old um, and playing on that. Uh, oh, one thing should mention... Everyone is brilliant in this film, including Ray Winston, even though he can't do a American accent to save his it's, life. It's a shame, isn't it? Like, it's, it's shame. so... But how? How yeah. did they go, yeah, all right, we'll put it in the film anyway? Yeah. Like, it's so bad. Yeah. And I, I'm a huge Ray Winston fan. but Yeah, um, brilliant actor. Uh, yeah, um, even, even I have to uh, admit, yeah. It's, Shouldn't it's play Americans. Not the best. Um, but also as well, because um, we've not mentioned him yet and we absolutely need to, Alec Baldwin is incredible in this. Uh, yeah. Absolutely amazing. Not a huge part, but I love every second he's on screen or has a line. It, he's hilarious. Yeah. And, and and Pacey and yeah, brilliant. I still don't know why he puts his face in a bowl of cold water. No. Um, but I love that. Yeah. Um, the cigarettes conversation. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. The kind of nervous excitement of this guy who... Yeah. Is he's got no real integrity. He just wants to get on with his life. He's not a bad guy or a good guy. Yeah. He just kind of got, oh, you're just a bit of a coward, really. Yeah. Um, but there's yeah, so much joy every second he's on screen. Um uh, there's also um a really nice, very small part. Um I'm pausing because I can't remember the actor's name, who was in Miss mm-hmm. Meadows. Um, oh, oh, uh, James Badgedale. James Badge, yeah, old yes. badge. I'll make yeah. badge. Um, Badget. Badget. Uh, he uh, he yeah comes at the he's at the beginning and and featured as kind of the friend of uh, uh, Matt Damon through um, yeah through the the training scheme and then comes back at the end and uh, and and is actually you realise a much bigger cog in the wheel yeah than we realised the whole along so lots of just lovely lovely reveals reveals yeah. reveals reveals and that's actually a really interesting um, comparison with Infernal Affairs as well because. Uh, Infernal Affairs, I mean, huge, 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 huge in Hong Kong cinema. It's still known as one of the best uh, Hong Kong films ever. Broke loads of box office records, won loads of awards. And a big reason for that was that the four main characters, uh, the police chief, Sam Yan and Lau, um, were basically the four biggest actors in Hong Kong at that time. Wow. Uh, And the first time the four of them had ever been in one film together. So interesting that it also mirrors the the kind of ensemble star packing of of the party that's a really good point happened yeah. in infernal affairs as well um which is interesting i i yeah. just look at the the departed poster and you see like 
It was produced by by Brad Pitt. Yeah. It's directed by Martin Scorsese, and and you've got Leo DiCaprio's name first. Yeah. And then and then you've got Matt Damon, and then yeah. you've got Jack Nicholson, and yeah. then you've got Alec Baldwin. There, like Martin Sheen, Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. It's such a long. Li- they're all like. But also, how do you feel if you're Leonardo DiCaprio at that point in your career? Yeah. Because at this point, he's, I don't know, 2005, what, probably in his early 40s? No, no, really no, no, late. no, 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 nowhere near that, yeah, no. That's he's a long time ago. 15 years ago, and he's... Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, so 30, yeah. 30s, uh, early years. But uh, I, I remember him doing a, a series of films that were, he's always been a great actor, um, but he, I felt like everything he was doing at this time was really good. Mm-hmm great drama yeah not moving can. away from romantic lead yeah into really clever choices yeah. shall i say um i just think it must be quite intimidating to be to see your name above all of your heroes yeah and your contemporaries yeah on that one poster must have been uh incredible um but then also he's leo caprio star yeah. power absolutely um but yeah phenomenal um, love to see more from from uh, the, this uh, screenwriter as well, who I yeah, didn't know William anything Monaghan. about. Yeah, yeah, not done, not done a huge amount. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, uh, Body of Lies and um, there were a couple of Kingdom of Heaven, I believe, and a Kingdom few, of Heaven yeah. is the one I've heard of. Yeah, um, uh, which is, but I mean, none, none of them, none of them hold a candle to the writing of. Uh, of this which is just phenomenal it's flawless it's such just a good screenplay insanely quotable um yeah 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 we're gonna be uh you know spending the rest of our evening talking in a bostonian accent as much as we possibly can exactly and swearing unnecessarily yeah which is great yeah. well we do that quite a bit anyway yeah. actually which we maybe we'll watch goodwill hunting just to make sure get it in just there. To, yeah embed it in there Absolutely. um but yeah I'm, i mean i i i i think they're both excellent films for me personally, I do prefer The Departed, but that's a personal thing. Um, just because I like the level of, of of depth and character analysis and nuance you get in The Departed, and because I think Martin Scorsese is one of the greatest directors ever. Um, um, but I do think Infernal Affairs is equally a brilliant film, and as I say, there are certain aspects of Infernal Affairs. If I'm honest, I slightly prefer maybe the filming of or or the editing or maybe what it's trying to say it's certain aspects um so it's close i think it's close i think the departed does just edge it for me but i think they're both really really good films yeah i think uh, um that style wise there were too too many things in infernal affairs that that felt a bit more dated yeah like i was surprised not knowing this came out in 2002 i mm-hmm. felt it felt quite mid-90s for yeah. me yeah um and it is because of style and choice there are some beautiful ones but i think generally the score drags it down a little bit in places, mm-hmm. although it is beautiful in others. The editing drags it down in places, although it's beautiful in others. Yeah. You know, it, it's just, uh, I think, consistently Martin Scorsese is, is a is a better director. Yeah. Um, but in terms of in terms of them both being great films in their own right, absolutely, they stand up independently. Yeah. Um, just, yeah, great story. And that's the other thing with anything that we end up talking about on this show, any kind of form of media. Yeah. It's always about the great story. Well, exactly, and and you know, it's it's all well and good as saying that you know we both think the Departed's a better film, as if they exist independently of each other. Whereas we do have to acknowledge the fact that the Departed wouldn't exist without Infernal Affairs exactly, because it's yeah. it's that story. It's it's you know, um, uh, Andrew Lau and I can't remember the name of the person he wrote it with, but you know, it, it's it's their story. It's it's 
that's their plot that's their, yeah. their narrative that, and it's and it's a brilliant one and it's really really clever um so yeah absolutely cool. credit thank you so much adam for yes. suggesting it thank you adam um now uh a little glimpse uh listeners into our real lives um this get ready time, this is very lucky this time next week uh we will actually be um in the midst of moving house um uh, uh we are um yes uh, which is not a film we're actually no. moving house we are literally moving house uh uh um a week today um i should say a week when when we're recording this um so we may not get to uh uh tristan's um wonderful uh suggestion um request um uh looking at kind of the history of the anti-cannabis propaganda the, 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 in america yeah litigation and, and narrative um, surrounding specifically looking at william randolph hearst who is a very famous kind of media mogul that um if you've seen citizen kane that's who charles foster kane's based on um and um hearst yeah apparently was a lot of his business decisions and a lot of what he did was was all um yeah to do with um trying to outlaw cannabis but um because it was it was uh bad for his business um so um yeah so really that's interesting gonna be really interesting but we need we want to make the time to actually you know do the proper research and all the rest of it um and do it at um, time and this is something we don't have a lot of at the moment not not for this week so we may well take a week hiatus uh and um come back to you in two weeks time um where we'll have been fully uh prepped and uh researched on yeah the propaganda of uh, the anti-cannabis propaganda of america in the early 20th fantastic. century we yeah. should ask uh, mark maron if he wants to come on and talk about it actually we should yeah i'll yeah. just give him a call when give him a text this. yeah yeah absolutely. Um, give him a message him on messenger yeah we'll do yeah i'll bbm him uh, yeah, yeah absolutely get you think i'm still i'm still friends with him on bb so <laughs> He was in my top uh, five he was in on your my top space. Five yeah. <laughs> um, cool. Okay. Well then. Um, with that being said, we uh, still have time to see what you think. To hear what you think. Yeah, we still have time to hear what you think. If you want to get in touch, um, you can do it on all the usual ways. So you can get in touch with us on Twitter at Macabre Podcaster. You can drop us an email, podcastermacabre at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, fb.me forward slash podcastermacabre. And do please like, share, subscribe, and listen on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Anchor, wherever you get your podcasts from. In the meantime, I have been David Shopland. And I've been Callum Hughes. Thank you for listening. See you in about week number two. Bye. Yeah, bye. Bye.